like you. We, uh, we love Pastor Scott and Gina and uh, have known them for many years. And I never imagined that we would get to come out here to Florida and, and uh, meet you folks. We're impressed by uh, your ministries here. And it's a beautiful place. It's our first time in Florida, so it's a, we count it a great privilege and an honor to be here. Uh, as, as I was just thinking as our brother was Scott was talking, uh, if, when I was a young person, I would never have imagined God would lead me in such a path uh, around the world and, and to so many different places, and, and uh, even in our retirement, being able to, uh, to be used to the Lord. It's a, it's a great privilege and, and honor to be here, and I thank you for that, and I appreciate your faithfulness in all these great things, and, and this church, the witness of this church. Jesus, uh, of course, said, uh, you are my witnesses in, John, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, our goal in this life, whether you're in missions, whether you're here in the homeland, our goal is to be effective in our witness, to be effective witnesses. Uh, we must understand our limitations. We are not saviors. There's only one savior, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's not try to take his job that we're unequipped to do. We are his witnesses. Uh, we're not called to be successful by the world standards. Some people take that line and, and leads them and uh, make many compromises and it's not honoring to God in the end. Uh, we're not called to be famous uh, or any of those things. We are simply called to be faithful and effective witnesses. Our goal is not to impress people. Our goal is not to gain the favor of man. It's amazing the compromises people will make to the gospel just to gain favor, just to reach, uh, enlarge their audience and to, uh, to, to gain favor with man. Of course, the, our mission is not to brag about how many souls we've led to the Lord. Uh, you know, some people play the numbers game. I remember when we first arrived in Finland, uh, there have been other missionaries there, not in church planting, not necessarily exactly with uh, biblical doctrine, but we met a, a family that was with uh, a children's ministry there. In fact, they'd been there in Finland for uh, quite a while when we arrived, the older couple than us, and we were glad to meet them, and we were friends. And uh, the, this dear brother told me, he says, you know, in Finland we have won 10,000 children to Christ. Wow, 10,000. I thought, my, that's, that's amazing. And uh, they were there a number of years afterwards, after that too. And uh, I, I think their number probably would have been closer to 20,000. But later on, at one point, I asked this dear brother, I said, 10,000 people, you know, where are these? Because where are they? If, if they're, they were children, when you uh, won them to Christ, then they should be becoming young adults now. And we're trying to build a church. It would be sure nice to make contact with some of them. He says... Oh, they're all over Finland. They're in your city. Yes, we used to live in your city, and we, we know there's lots of them there. I says, can you just name one? And uh, he says, well, yeah, my, our, our daughter's good friend, Heidi. She, she, uh, our daughter, Naomi, has a good friend, Heidi, and she's a wonderful Christian. And so I, I, uh, I got in touch with Heidi. She had moved across Finland to another place, and I, I called her on the phone, and so... I asked, how, how was her walk with the Lord doing? Well, she wasn't all that interested in going to church or doing anything regarding God. She'd had a baby out of wedlock, and she was living with her boyfriend. 
and as I talked with her, I, I just didn't connect. This was the, one of the best examples of, of the, out of the 10,000. And you know, after 40 years in Finland, now I'm not saying God didn't use them, but I never met even one of those people. But by playing the numbers game, you see the funds kept coming in. He was able to report home, oh, we had another number of people come to Christ. Well, I learned how they did it. They have this little system. If you want to go to heaven, you basically raise your hand and follow a prayer. And I, I decided early on that that is not the biblical approach, and that's not what we're going to do. That's what many people do. But we're called to be effective witnesses, not to be playing the numbers game and not to manipulate people like some people do. Our goal is to be used of the Lord. Our goal is to glorify God in everything that we do. Our, and we are called to be found faithful to the Great Commission, whether we do it over there in the foreign field or right here at home. So in order to be effective, I'd like you to turn today to Romans chapter 1. And we'll take some thoughts from this passage in Romans 1, verses 14 through 16. In order to be effective, I've kind of framed this in three, three points here. We have to have three critical attitudes. Three critical attitudes. And the first one is to realize our obligation. In verse 14, Romans 1.14, Paul says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the, Hebrew, and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Now, Paul did not preach to gain the favor of man. He did not preach because it seemed an attractive occupation. He was called of God, and he was under obligation he was under obligation. He, in fact, he said in, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 14, he says, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, because he was called of God. Speaking up for Christ, brothers and sisters, is not just one option. It's an obligation, and it's laid upon all of us who know Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 says, He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In light of what Christ has done for us, we must set aside our selfish agenda and live for him. We have no business living like we used to before we knew Christ. We have an obligation. We have new obligations laid upon us. Now, before we came to faith in Christ, we served any number of vain idols. For me, it was sports. It was outdoor activities. It was lots of things. And some of those things I'm so ashamed of now. What a waste of my time. Oh, I loved adventure. What a waste of time, some of the things I did. But now, Christ owns us. He has a claim on us. 
We were bought with a price. We read in 1 Corinthians 6.20, You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. He purchased us with His own blood that He shed on the cross. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to God. We're His property. Now you can go out and do your own thing, and sometimes Christians do that. And they become unfruitful. But that would be to ignore our obligation to our Savior. We have an obligation. Some are not interested in serving in missions or helping send missionaries. They're not interested in giving, at least not in a sacrificial way, or praying, or sometimes even sharing the gospel. What a shame that is. Because we all have a role to play. Whether you're called to go across the ocean or not, we all have a role to play. And missionaries who do go far away can't fulfill the Great Commission alone. We are dependent upon one another. In the King James Version, this verse says, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and the barbarians. I am debtor. And we need to pay our debts. I hate to be in debt. I always feel I've got to pay that off. And we are in debt to all men, to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. We are called to be witnesses to all men, wherever we can. The Greeks, of course, were the educated People, they were literate, could read and write. The barbarians were uh, uneducated, at least formally uneducated. It did not mean that they were uh, unintelligent. It just meant that they were not literate. Many people were like that in the, in the ancient world. But they were intelligent, and they can understand the gospel. Now, of course, I prefer not to bother talking to some people because they're hard to witness to. There's times I've uh, been on the, in street evangelism talking uh, in our city center there, and uh, we have a lot of Muslim inflows, and, and trying to talk with these young Muslim boys uh, is very, very sometimes threatening. Uh, it's hard to make much progress. I'm not, I'd have to tool up and spend time thinking how to, how to be effective with them because that's not uh, my strength dealing with them. I deal, deal with Finnish people who have a Lutheran background, and most of them are atheists. But uh, there are people that, that obviously are, are difficult to speak with. They don't think clearly and logically. Uh, we have to be very patient with them. But the gospel is the great equalizer because people are equally lost without it and equally saved by it. And so we have to witness to all people because the gospel concerns all people, all are sinners, and all can understand the gospel. The gospel is simple enough for all men to understand, regardless of their educational background. You see, obligation is like when a person is drowning and you come by, or a person is in a burning building, you have an obligation to lend a hand, to save them, to rescue them. It's put upon us. We automatically have an obligation to help. 
We have the gospel, and that is the only means for men to be saved from their sin. And if you're saved, you know that. I know you know that, because God teaches us that. You sense your obligation. But that alone doesn't get the job done. And so we go on to the next critical attitude. In verse 15, we must be eager to serve. Paul says, so I am eager to preach. The King James says, I'm ready. If you want to serve the Lord, don't delay. You've got to get out there and do it. So much of, so much is just a matter of getting out there and doing it. You can only prepare so much. You've got to get, get, get involved. Uh, don't overanalyze it. It's not complicated. The gospel ministry is simple. Often there's, there's too much clutter in our lives. There's so many things going on that, that we get distracted. Uh, but it's not complicated. Some people get so entangled in the uh, things of this world. There's lots of distractions. And uh, they never get on to serving the Lord. They never get on to, to thinking how they can reach their neighbors for Christ. How they can fulfill their obligation. They're too attached to, you know, there's so many things. There's family. I, I hear people say, well, my family, they're not going to approve of this. That, they'll have to deal with that themselves. You have to take a stand. When you go out on the mission field, I'll tell you, you have to leave a lot of things behind. We left our families behind. We missed anniversaries and birthdays and important dates. We lost contact with some of our, some of our extended family and some of, the, some of the people that we love. We had to walk away. There's some things that have to take second place to your obligation to Christ. Paul was like a racehorse in the gate, ready and eager to go, waiting for that bell to ring. And, and he launched out of there, never looking back, going like a racehorse down the track. Now, of course, we must be prepared as best we can. Uh, we don't want to run out unequipped and un unprepared. 1 Peter 3.15 says, being always prepared, always being prepared to make a defense. Of course, we, uh, we attend worship service, services like we are here. We attend Bible studies. Uh, we participate and we, we, we learn things. We study. Uh, we memorize uh, scripture. Some go to Bible colleges and seminaries. We must be prepared. Time spent in preparation is not wasted. I'm not saying that we uh, act foolishly. But you can't be lazy about serving the Lord. You, we study diligently in our preparation if we're going to be effective. I was, as I was talking this morning, I wish I'd had more time to talk about my street evangelism because when you're out there talking with people, you find out what people are thinking. You know where they're going and you must prepare for their objections to the gospel and you, you know how to overcome those and turn it around to your benefit and to, to use that to uh, make the gospel clear. You may think, well, I don't have that kind of talent. <laughs> Believe me, I'm a normal person. I don't have any special talents either. But God can make us able. You may, 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 may say, I don't have the money. I don't have the opportunity. But you can be prepared 
And you can be willing to serve the Lord wherever he puts you. And there's many, many opportunities. There's a place for you. And there's something that you can do that nobody else can do as well. And you won't know that until you start serving the Lord and be faithful to get involved. The attitude in the heart is what matters. In 2 Corinthians 8, 12, I love this passage. It says, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now, most of us are not going to stand here and preach from the pulpit. I never imagined myself being here. What a blessing and privilege it is to stand before you and to have the word of God in my hands. But there is a place for you to serve. You can help send missionaries. You can pray for missionaries. You can give to promote missions. Missions are missionaries... There are lots of missionaries, and I know them, who are ready to go, they're eager to go, they've prepared for years, and they can't get to where they're going because others, for whatever reason, are not fulfilling their side of the, of, of the, of the mission. Some, some of those missionaries are on what we call deputation to raise funds for sometimes three or even four years before they can leave this, the, the, these shores to go to their foreign country of, of calling. And it's not, I, I'm convinced it is not because of lack of money. The Lord has abundant funds. We went to Finland, uh, and, and I can remember how talking to uh, veteran missionaries way back when we were trying to raise support back in the uh, late 70s, uh, and we told them how much money we needed per month to get, you know, get our uh, clearance to, to leave for the field, and they said, oh, that's impossible. You'll, we didn't even need half that much, and we had so much trouble. They, they didn't really encourage us. And, and you remember that? We were down in Soldatna. And they said, That's, you'll never raise that much money. You know what? We raised that much money. The Lord raised it up. And it's because of, uh, I, don't, I never imagined people would pay so much attention to us. Scott's been reading our letters. Others have been reading. And we've had an impact, and God has inspired people to come to uh, participate in our ministry and supply those things that are needed to send missionaries out. You know, God will always supply your needs if you are eager and willing to serve. That's the promise of Philippians 4.19 and many other passages in Scripture. It's a wonderful thing to see God supply. And one of the reasons, as we were talking we couldn't quit the mission field because God was continuing to pr provide for us. I mean, we didn't have a lot of excess money, but we had enough to stay there and do what he called us to do. And we just couldn't leave the mission field, even though it would certainly be tempting to go find something easier to do. In fact, 40 years, you know, it's amazing how quickly time goes by. Here we are 40 years later. If we had quit even three or four years before the end, everything would have been lost. We'd, we'd had no uh, national pastor to take over, and the church would have just melted away. But we had to follow through to see our mission fulfilled, and it was a great blessing beyond words can describe to be able to turn things over to a national pastor and have those people wish us well as we left back for our home country. And that we, we know now there's a, there's a gospel witness in that, in that country. The Lord always provides. He is faithful. He, is, he does his part. The question is, do we do our part? 
Well, you have to be willing and eager to speak up for Christ. And that brings us to the third critical attitude that you have to have here. Notice in verse, in verse uh, 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed. You must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that sounds fairly easy here when we're among other Christians. But when you get out there in a hostile world, then it's another story. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul says, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why are Christians not speaking up for Christ more? We sing the hymns with gusto. We speak with one another. But all of a sudden we get real quiet when we're out there in the world. It's because... We're too often ashamed. We know what we should do, but we don't do it. The world says, shame on you. And so we keep silent. Oh, we give it an attempt here and there, but the world says, shame on you. You see, Satan is the god of this world. He is also called the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. His power is in the air. It's everywhere. And the gospel is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. And when people hear the gospel, their instinct is to react with disdain. They don't want to hear it. And so we are quickly told in so many words, to shut up. And we become ashamed. The apostles, the, early, the apostles in the early church spoke up for Christ in the public square and they were arrested and put in jail. And in fact, they were even beaten and told never to speak in this man's name again. And they, it says after, after all of that, in, in Acts 5.41, it says, They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced in that because they knew they were standing in the name of Christ and that they were obeying Christ and doing the right thing. You know, God brings blessing even when you are suffering for righteousness' sake. Paul was mocked. It was normal for him. He was ridiculed. He was imprisoned repeatedly. He was called a fool. But he was never ashamed. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And you must not be ashamed either. You must be prepared, prepared for the same type of treatment. Now, we have it pretty easy in our world. But that social rejection can be very powerful and keep our mouths shut. That should not happen. It takes boldness. It takes a, a fear of, more fear of God than fear of man to stand forth and speak his word. It's a privilege sometimes when we do suffer for Christ. And we can be, uh, people can, it's a clever world. They know how to make you, uh, make you feel the pinch. But that's okay. When they come against us, 
they only scatter the seed. Because if we are faithful, God will take and use that, and you'd be surprised how many people are watching and how effective your witness will be when you are opposed and sometimes even persecuted. In fact, when opposition shows, shows its ugly head, it proves, it only proves that our, our salvation is real and that we belong to Christ. Why else would they take such effort to oppose us? And how we know this on a personal level, I hate to get into it, but we've suffered in, a, on our, in our family and many other ways because of our stand for Jesus Christ. I was not raised in a Christian home, neither was my wife. Now, sometimes they're rather neutral, but sometimes the opposition appears. Why are we not willing to suffer for Christ? Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Hebrews 12.2 He despised the shame. He suffered. And the same shame is going to be put upon us, attempted to be put upon us to keep us quiet. Often we are, way too often we are quiet. A Hindu of high rank became disturbed in his heart on the subject of eternity. He heard of Christians in America and, and desired to talk with them about Christ. So he visited the United States, provided with uh, introductions to leading people. At a great banquet, he said to the gentleman sitting next to him, uh, Sir, can you tell me something about Jesus Christ? The man replied, We don't talk about such subjects at dinner parties. Later, he was invited to a baseball game and took the opportunity to ask his host for information about Jesus Christ. Again, he was told that a ball game was no place for such a subject. How strange these Christians are, said the Hindu. They seem ashamed to speak about their religion and of Christ its founder. You see, there's always a convenient excuse to keep silent. Almost any time is appropriate to speak of Christ. Don't be intimidated by the circumstances. Paul was not ashamed. He was eager to go to Rome. I mean, Rome! Rome was the capital of the empire of the world. Rome the center of education and learning. Rome, the center where the wealth of the world was concentrated. Rome, the seat of power and the throne of Caesar where Caesar reigned. Rome was an intimidating place to go with the gospel. And it's hard for us to put it in context and understand what Rome was at that time in the ancient world. Now there was a small church there, but Rome was mainly unevangelized. And the church there was nothing but a tiny island in a sea of paganism. And it would take a very effective witness like Paul to go there and to speak the gospel. All of Europe is underrepresented by the gospel, underrepresented by missions, because the Europeans are a well-educated people, 
and they enjoy a high standard of living. Finland is 100% is literate. And those people are, are, are more sophisticated than the pagans. But they're just as lost. Just as lost. Now people go on vacations to Europe and see all the beautiful uh, places and think things are going fine here, but not so. Because those, those hearts are desperately lost in darkness and the need is great. We were the only church planning missionaries to go to Finland. The only ones, and no one has come since. We, many, many years we prayed someone else would come. No one ever came, and it was not easy. And many times it was just my dear wife and I as we prayed and cried together over the lost souls of men and try, how we could reach their, soul, their hearts for Christ. And you will have to be well prepared to, to debate with people like that because they're pretty confident in their unbelief. They have a false assurance with their own churches. They have bigger churches. We can't compete with those. The state church collects taxes out of their uh, tax dollars out of their people's paychecks, whether they attend the church or not. And they're amazingly, uh, it's amazingly efficient system, but it keeps people blinded and lost. And if you are the least bit hesitant you can't go there and preach the gospel if you hesitate, if you have the least bit of shame. Paul, Paul didn't have that. He debated with the philosophers in Athens. They mocked him. They mocked the resurrection. Let them mock. I invite it. Let them mock because the words are true. And we must be able to be mocked without being put to shame. We have the authority. We have the word of God which cannot be broken. The fear of man will stop you in your tracks if you are afraid of men. Jesus said in Mark 8, 38, Whoever is ashamed of me in this, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the, in the glory of, the, of his Father with the holy angels. Mark 8, 38. No matter how shy you may be, you can speak up for Jesus Christ. You can confess Christ as your Savior. You can say what Christ has done for you. You can refine that over the time and add to that and make it more meaningful, but you can speak up. You cannot be effective you cannot be an effective witness if you are ashamed to speak up for Christ. It's not enough just to live a good life. A lot of people live good lives. The Mormons live pretty good lives. The Finnish people live good lives. We cannot be effective if we're ashamed of the gospel. What makes people ashamed? I mean, Christian people, what makes them ashamed? Is it a lack of confidence in the gospel? Sometimes. Whatever it, whatever it is, it's sin. And it's sin, any sin, that will seal your lips. If there's something in your private life that isn't right before God, if there's a moral failure that you haven't dealt with, you cannot stand and speak for Christ. You've got to get that settled and you better get your life in order because you, it, it's the purity of, of your heart that makes you strong and bold. 
You see, the, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Proverbs 18. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, verse 16. There is no power in heaven or earth that can save a soul except the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it has amazing power and it's, it works through the truth of the words, communicating truth. That's where the power is, applying the word of God. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be unusually gifted. You just have to speak the truth. And you have to speak it sincerely from a pure heart. Sometimes you don't feel adequate. Blurt it out. Get it out there somehow. I don't care how much you may fail. You're not, you, you've got to get it out there. You have to break open, break the ice a little bit. The power is not in you. The power is in the gospel. If you try to make the gospel a little more palatable by changing things and talking about the love of God and saying all the blessings and everything's going to go great for you, you remove the reproach of the cross and you neutralize the power of the gospel. That's what happens. You think you're going to improve on the gospel? You're not. Any improvement, is, is, is a, it, it, it neutralizes the gospel. You take away the offense of the cross. It is the seeming foolishness of the cross that saves people. That's what God takes and uses and applies. It humbles people. People have to be humbled. And perverted gospels, whatever twisted gospels people preach, they have no power. The gospel of good works, it can't save anybody. The prosperity gospel that panders to man's sinful hearts, it has no power. It is the true gospel of Jesus Christ that saves souls. It's the blood of Christ that had to be spilt on our behalf. And it's the gospel of Christ that will heal a nation. And we must not be ashamed to speak up for truth wherever it is found. Even in politics, we are conservative or uh, any other area of life. We stand for Jesus Christ and his word, and we make no apologies. And I believe that the gospel is, the, is truly the answer to all human problems, whatever they be, wherever they're found. And it, that's what will preserve a nation. And I'm so grateful that in America there are some gospel, great gospel preaching churches like yours here and many others. And it's not like that everywhere else. Not, we know there's a lot of work to be done, but by the grace of God we have churches and there are faithful believers. The gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Of course, the Jews were God's chosen people. They were given the law and the covenants and the promises. And the Jews are hard to reach. God has hardened their hearts providentially, but there is a glorious day coming when they will all come to faith in Christ and be saved according to uh, Romans eleven twenty six. But the gospel is also for Gentiles. Most of us are Gentiles because God loves all people. Anyone who believes will be graciously and gloriously saved. 
That's the good news. And so we serve and we pray and we, we work and we sacrifice for the Lord at every level to further His kingdom here on this earth. And the goal is to be effective witnesses, not successful by the world standards. God rewards you for your faithfulness regardless of the results. The results are in His hands. Never forget that. We may not see many converts. I, I wished, I mean, I, we prayed to the end that souls would be saved, and we saw so few. Finally, at the end, we had 38 people gathered together on the last Sunday. We were there to come together, and that, that, was, that was the high water mark, and we're grateful for every, every dear soul that was there. But you may not see many results. That's not the test of your ministry. test is, are we faithful? Are we effective? Are we continuing to do His will? And while we may retire from formal mission service over the ocean, we're still serving the Lord where we have the chance. I was uh, all fall on the university campus, University of Alaska campus in Anchorage, uh, doing street evangelism. Had nothing but blessings over and over every time I'd go out there, talking with young people, presenting the gospel, uh, and seeing God's work in their hearts. It was and it continues to be a blessing to my heart, and I hope I can continue to do that as long as my strength endures. But we will be effective, and God will use us. And if you want to be effective, if you want to be an effective witness, then you must be able to, honestly able to say, like Paul, that I am under obligation, and I am eager to preach, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. And if you sense your obligation to be a faithful witness and you are eager to, to do something about it and you're not ashamed to live, to live for Christ and to speak up for Him, then you will shake your world. You have no idea how much influence you will have. People, you may talk, like I've spoken to people, I've, I'm often talking to one person and behind them there's three or four people all listening in. You don't know where the seed will go. God will use you in amazing ways. And only eternity will reveal the impact you had for Jesus Christ. And may God bless you. Amen.